Welcome to Keep the Flow, the podcast that looks under the hood of the creative process to keep your creative engine humming. I'm your host, Scott McLemore, a drummer and composer living way up north in Iceland. I've been involved in various creative pursuits, including working in graphic design and writing about creativity. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you what I've learned along the way. Here we go. My first car was an 81 Toyota Corona, not Corolla, station wagon. It was cream-colored and extremely basic. I loved that car. There was just one problem that came to light, literally, when I took it out of town for the first time. I was on my way back to Virginia Beach from Charlottesville, getting close to Richmond, but really in the middle of nowhere. I realized then that the gas gauge was stuck on full, but the gas light was on. It was a mess. I had spent all my pocket money in Charlottesville and had no credit card. I was 17 and had no experience driving long distances. I wasn't even impressed with the supposed gas mileage the Corona was getting. It certainly hadn't occurred to me to put gas in the car. The whole experience was traumatic enough that I learned immediately not to count on the gas gauge. I made sure I always had cash on me and filled up as soon as the light came on. Fast forward a few years to my second car, an 87 Nissan Pathfinder in light blue. I got it right before I went away to college, and I'm pretty sure I had the coolest car in my class. As luck would have it, the gas gauge worked in this car. I could easily see the needle going gradually down as I burn up the fuel zipping in and out of Manhattan on the weekends. I could have easily seen it, but I didn't look at it. Because I learned to drive the Corona with no gauge, I was in the habit of ignoring the gauge altogether. Waiting for the light to come on and pulling into the next gas station seemed to work perfectly in my old car. One problem, though. The gas light never came on in the new car. It was broken. I now had the exact opposite problem from my old car. It was as if the world I had been programmed to operate in turned suddenly upside down and I found it incredibly difficult to adapt. Running out of gas became almost normal for me. I would call my then-girlfriend, now wife, Suna, to rescue me as I sat on the shoulder of the Garden State Parkway scolding myself. Again? It's kind of amazing that she went through with our wedding now that I think back on this. It was embarrassing. I was almost old enough to drink, but I couldn't figure out how to stop getting stranded all over the tri-state area. At this point, I should have remembered Obi-Wan Kenobi's advice to Luke Skywalker. Use the Force, Luke. I was basically doing the same thing as Luke. Jedi training. No, I mean I was depending on external indicators instead of my feelings. Trusting that some gauge or light was going to tell me when to fill up the car instead of thinking... It's been a few days since I put gas in the car. Maybe I should do that. In this episode, I want to talk about how to avoid the trap of getting sucked in by external indicators like social media analytics, likes and follows, reviews, critiques, and even compliments, and instead learn to trust our feelings. Listen to Obi-Wan, people. Let's get started.
We sometimes wait for the external indicator of feedback to validate what we're doing. It can be easy to get distracted by likes and follows or any sort of compliment because it feels good. Of course, the validation flips that switch in our brains that makes us want to do more of the thing that got us the positive feedback. That might be exactly what we should be doing, but it might also be at odds with our instincts. In my work, there's a tune on my second album called Waking, which to this day I think is the best music I've written. It's the piece I'm most proud of, but none of the reviews I got mention it. No one ever asked me about that tune. I get requests for sheet music on some of my other tunes, but not that one. It doesn't bother me. Oh, really? Then why are you bringing it up on this podcast? No, really, it's fine. But when I do get compliments on certain tunes, there is a little bit of, oh, wow, people seem to like when I write tunes like this one, maybe I should do that more. I catch myself thinking that way, and I have to snap myself out of it. It's only natural to get a hit of dopamine from validation, but we shouldn't base our process on getting it. Likewise, we can't look at criticism, even constructive criticism, as a metric by which we determine our creative direction. We should still be able to accept either compliments or criticism graciously, and then put it out of our minds and get back to work. There's one exception to this, which is kind of obvious, which I'm also going to talk about later, but comedians, they get a pass on this stuff because their metric that they use to determine their creative direction is sort of built into their process. It's built into their job, and that's the audience. When they get laughs, they know that something's working, and depending on how much laughter they get, they know if they need to maybe adjust something, but we'll talk about all that later. But for now, I just want to get into um, the idea of criticism and compliments and wh- you know wh- what place that has in our process. And for most of us, I think it doesn't really have a place. You know, I mean, it can be nice or it can be horrible. But I heard the, the writer Seth Godin once say, I don't know one writer who said they read all the one-star reviews on Amazon, and that's how they became a great writer, end quote. We do the work because we love the work. That's the only way it makes sense. That's the only way to be authentic. And the final result is not going to be for everyone. It never is. But the more we love it, the more we do it for the right reasons, the more authentic it is, then the people who do get it are going to really get it. External indicators may light up on our dashboard, but sometimes it's better to ignore them and just keep on trucking. Okay, maybe that's not the best metaphor because what if you need an oil change? That could be disastrous. But okay, let's try this. If you get a compliment for taking a left turn, does it make sense to only make left turns from then on? No, then you'll just be going in circles and not really getting anywhere. We all have a creative compass inside us. When we're on the right path, we know. We just need to tune into that compass by ignoring all the external indicators. I'm really not into this idea that's had some traction on the internet that creators just need to make a bunch of content and see what's popular, then make more of that. I hate to be a buzzkill, but that seems like a horrible way to decide your next move. Okay, it might be true though. I mean... 
that you will meet with success, but what if you hate it? Do you really want to commit to making stuff you hate? I don't see how that's sustainable. And wouldn't it be apparent to the audience? This is the opposite of authenticity. How do we reconcile that? Are we really just going to keep making left turns because more people like left than right? We just need to listen to that internal compass, the force, our internal indicators. When we come back, we'll get into some other external indicators and how to make a habit of filling up before we're stuck on the side of the idea highway. Hey, thanks for making it this far. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate and or review the show wherever you're listening to it. It makes a huge difference in helping other creative people find us. And if you really like it, check the episode notes for links to any books or other stuff that I mention. Using those affiliate links really help out the show. Also, there's a link there to my Patreon page, which will allow you to get early access to episodes as well as bonus material and extended interviews for as little as $1 a month. And yes, there will be some interviews in the upcoming episodes. I'm going to use some of my touring as an opportunity to record some conversations with interesting people. I already have one lined up this week, but that's all I can really say about it. So check out the Patreon page. And again, thanks for your support. And now, back to Keep the Flow. In the tagline for the podcast, I mentioned keeping our creative engine humming. I think it's interesting to think of that part of us as an engine. Engines have to be oiled and need tune-ups, and they need a lot of fuel. Knowing when to refuel creatively is important. There are external gauges that can show us, but we're much better off not letting it get to that point. Just like me waiting for the gaslight and hoping I'm close enough to get to a gas station... It's much better to make a habit of refueling before you're completely out of gas. Inspiration is our fuel. We feed off of ideas. This isn't necessarily always other creative work. Sometimes it's a place, a person, a feeling, or a change of scenery can be incredibly inspiring. Sometimes just being quiet and taking time to reflect can be all we need. But everyone's different, and we need different fuel. Introverts get energy from time alone, while extroverts get it from being around other people. But getting energy from and being inspired by are different things. Introverts can be inspired by other people, although we probably process the information differently. Extroverts can also be inspired by time alone, although it might get unpleasant after a while. The point is, we can feel when our work is uninspired, 
we know before any reviews or feedback, we know when we're stuck in a rut before anyone else. In most cases, we're our harshest critic. But when we try to ignore it and continue with the process that used to yield consistently good results, we gaslight ourselves, pun intended, into believing our mojo will come back on its own, that somehow we will get refueled from the work itself. I definitely get energy from doing the work, but like I said, getting energy from and being inspired by are different things. I think we can mistake the fulfillment for inspiration. It's kind of like driving and looking at the gas gauge, thinking, I can't be out of gas, look how far I've gone, as if the distance is fueling the car. However, we can stumble onto new ideas in our work that then serve as inspiration. I think of this almost like regenerative braking in electric cars. My wife and I have an electric MG, and it'll charge itself a little when you're going downhill, a little, not enough though. Sooner or later, we all have to plug in and recharge. Don't wait until the tank is empty or the battery's dead. That's really bad for batteries, by the way. Just a little extra tech tip for you, free of charge. Make recharging and refueling a habit that is as much a part of your process as the work itself. This doesn't mean you need to radically change direction every six months or whatever. Just let yourself step away from whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, at whatever interval works for you. I think about artists like Paul Simon or Beck. It seems like every album they make is a result of immersing themselves in a new kind of music. Whether it's Simon's forays into Afropop, Samba or Zydeco, or or Beck's folk, hip-hop, synth-pop experiments, it seems like they're both in the habit of seeking out new inspiration to fuel their next project. And they do it while retaining their own musical identity. It's the context that changes. They surround themselves with new people, new cultures, new ideas, just to see how they fit into it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should all be like them, but we can learn from their consistent refueling. In the next section, I want to get into the psychology of trusting ourselves and how we can benefit from a good old-fashioned gut check. you missed me well i'm back slice down sorry that's a little obscure we're back trusting our instincts self-trust self-confidence and belief in oneself are all ways of thinking about basically the same thing that inner sorry i need to get some water okay normally i would pause for this but let's just keep going So there are ways of thinking about the same thing, the inner compass that is trying to guide us. It has been scientifically proven that when we don't trust ourselves, we're more likely to fail. When we wait for that GPS to light up and show us the way, we are ignoring the part of us that already knows the way. There was a study done at Columbia University in 2012, which looked at the psychological traits in people 
who are most likely to be able to predict the future. Wait, that sounds weird. No, I mean, they were asked things like to predict the winner of American Idol, the singing contest, or or the movement of the stock market, or what college football team would win the championship. The participants who had more self-trust were more likely to correctly predict the outcomes. And I can see some of you thinking, well, that's just luck. No, they were consistently better at it than the participants that with that had less trust in their feelings. Sometimes close to double the percentage. That sounds almost metaphysical to me. What I take away from this is that we can for sure be wrong, even though we're trusting our feelings, but we're much more likely to be right. So why not? Why not trust our feelings? Besides the increased likelihood of success, that's just a much more pleasant way to go through life. Self-doubt is a drag. The traits of someone who trusts themselves, decisiveness, confidence, and self-awareness, these traits attract success. They make people want to open doors for us, work with us, be around us. But let's stop right there for a moment and make sure we all understand I'm not talking about cockiness or feeling superior to or pretending to act confident. No, no, no. This is about the real deal. Trusting ourselves, but respecting and listening to everyone around us as equals. I've mentioned this book before, but Creative Confidence by Tom and David Kelly is an incredible book for examining what goes into the thinking behind having confidence as a creative person. That's where I first learned about the growth mindset, which I'm not going to get into again here. Not right now. Although it's tempting. But we hear the phrase gut check a lot, which refers to checking in with our feelings about whatever issue we're dealing with. I used to think it was a figure of speech, but our brains actually have a direct connection to the gut through a network of neurons. Somehow, information is being sent to the brain, giving us warnings about potentially bad decisions or giving us secure feelings about good decisions. In fact, 95% of serotonin and more than 50% of dopamine is synthesized in the gut, not in the brain, which when I read that, I was stunned. So there's a lot going on in our gut. It's processing our surroundings and trying to guide us, like an internal compass, you might say. It's not always right, though. If we're under a lot of stress, that can cause the gut to send constant warning signals. Like if we always feel unease in our gut, that's probably the result of stress and that's something we need to deal with before we can trust our gut for day-to-day stuff. Of course, there's also the nutritional aspect, which I'm sure you know, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist, so I won't go too much into that. But I have read that eating probiotics and also prebiotics are really beneficial to the health of the gut. If we take care of our gut and treat it like a vital tool in our creative process, and we make a habit of listening to it, just knowing that we have this onboard advisor will boost our self-confidence and make us feel less unsure of which creative direction to take. When we come back, I want to talk about comedy. Well, not just comedy, but how comedians tap into the collective energy of an audience and why they get a pass on this external indicator rant I'm on.
There's a great documentary on Netflix called Tig about one of my favorite comedians, Tig Notaro. My daughters call her my favorite lesbian. It gives us a glimpse into her process as she is working on new material and traveling around to different clubs trying it out. There's one joke in particular, I can't remember which one, but it starts off getting minimal laughs and then as we go along, she gradually tweaks the wording and timing of it. And it's incredible to see the difference. She takes a good joke and turns it into a great joke. But she does it by listening to the audience. And you might say, but weren't you just telling us not to go by external indicators? And you would be right. However, in my defense, there are always exceptions to every rule. But in order to listen to the audience in real time, a comedian has to be present. It would be easy to get so focused on trying to remember the next joke that they forget to listen acutely to the reaction from the last one. Comedians are special in that they have a clearly defined metric of success. They go by the laugh-o-meter, or is it pronounced laugh-o-meter? Anyway, they know immediately in real time if their creative output works or not. You've heard of focus group testing, like what advertising agencies will do before they commit to a campaign. They get some random people together and ask them what they think. Comedians are basically in front of a focus group every night. Having that instant feedback is part of the gig, but you could say they're interpreting that feedback using their gut, and when they're writing the jokes to begin with, it's all gut instinct, what they think is funny. And then the rest is just trying to figure out how to communicate that humor with other people. So maybe comedians get a pass on the whole external indicators thing, but the rest of us, we need to just get back to work. Obsessing over how many likes something got on Instagram or poring over some review to really try to read between the lines and figure out what the critic was really saying, none of that matters. We do the work that we do, period. Even with this podcast, I have access to a ton of metrics where I can see how many people download the show, where in the world they are, if they're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's nuts. And I have to remind myself not to look at it. Okay, I do look at it every once in a while, but I catch myself and then it's back to work. When we lived in Brooklyn, there was a great drummer, actually one of my favorite drummers, who lived across the street from us, a guy named Jim Black. He has some connections to Iceland and we had gotten to know him a little bit. Suna had just released her second album, which was really the first album that got international attention. And we had a long European tour booked, and she was getting good reviews. So one day, we ran into Jim in front of our place, and he says, If you want my advice, don't look at it, referring to the reviews. Don't read them, and if you do, don't believe them, even if it's good. I remember thinking, that's crazy. If we're getting reviews, I want to read them. It's exciting. But now I think back on that and realize he was probably right. We have to learn to ignore the feedback and just plow ahead into the next thing. Always be creating. Don't look back. Speaking of reviews, if you have a second, please go rate and or review the show. Man, I sound like such a hypocrite right now. Okay, review, but I won't read the review. Or maybe I will, but I... 
I, it, it won't affect me. But this actually makes a huge difference in it being suggested for like-minded people by the almighty algorithm, or so I've heard. So if you have a moment, I would really appreciate it. That's all I've got today. Thanks for tuning in. I'm heading to the U.S. and will be playing some gigs in Virginia. If you're around there, check my website for details. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep the flow.